One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This episode is sponsored by Try Vegan, a vegan meal home delivery service that is nutritious and delicious and makes your life easier. Based out of New Jersey, they deliver throughout the Northeast. Check out more details on their website, tryveganmealprep.com. And you can get 25% off your first order with the promo code LITYOGA. So go vegan. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast, which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Wednesday Q&A where you all ask the questions and we answer with joy and curiosity. I am joined as always by my dear friend, comrade in arms, physical strength and otherwise, Kristen Williams. Hey, Laura. Hey, everybody. So glad hey. to be here. Yes. As always, our favorite way to spend our Wednesdays. Yes. I am going to kick us off. We got an email over our support at lityoga.com from Lucy. She spells it L-U-C-I-E. So you might know who you are. She says, I have a very painful frozen shoulder. I wonder if there are any tips and or exercises in lit that can help me. You want to start with that one? Yes, this is uh, unfortunately common. I have actually two private clients right now with frozen shoulders, um, treated a bunch of people. It's most common in women. It's most common in women over 40, even over 50. But that doesn't mean it can't happen otherwise. So frozen shoulder is known as adhesive capsulitis uh, because the capsule that surrounds the shoulder, the shoulder is just a joint that has a lot of inherent instability and that gives us a lot of mobility. So whenever you have one more, much more of one, you're always going to have a trade-off. So we have some inherent instability there and the stability that um, keeps the, the humeral head kind of well-positioned comes from ligaments, uh, tendons that attach to it, and then this capsule that has the components of those that comes over the ball of the humerus. We also have it in the hip as well. So these capsules are almost, sometimes we think of them like as little plastic bags, and they just give a little extra kind of suctioning feeling. The labrum then contributes as well. So that capsule, when it becomes adhered to the underlying bone, it feels awful to move. It really feels 
literally stuck frozen. Frozen shoulder, I, I've talked about this on a podcast before. I think it was just me talking about it. But, you know, again, if you haven't listened to it, you can always scroll through and, and type into our podcast search key. But for Lucy, um, what you already probably know is that there are stages of it where it starts to it starts to freeze and then it's frozen and then you start to thaw. And whatever stage you're in, the first thing to really, really tell yourself, and I mean every single day, is I am okay. Because anytime you have something like this happen that literally changes your mobility and your function, it is devastating for your life and your nervous system and your emotions. So all of those things are normal to feel, but you really have to start rewiring the conversation first by saying, I'm okay. Shoulder, I'm okay. You're, you know, you're giving me a little bit of a challenge here, but I'm okay. And in that I'm okayness, you've got to move. And you have, you're going to get communication that is not, that is a little faulty. In other words, you start to move and it's going to feel, wow, stop moving, pain. And that is what has been thought um, by various doctors, physicians, physical therapists, people who study frozen shoulder, is that there is something that um, precluded your shoulder from getting in this condition. Often it might be a virus, it might be trauma to the shoulder. And in that aftermath, there's been a faulty communication to your brain. So your brain is signaling that your shoulder's constantly in kind of trouble, in danger, and, and has done that as, you know, it's like, it's like guiding you the wrong way, thinking you're, it's doing the right thing. So you just have to kind of coax your nervous system down and override as much of that communication as possible. First, I always like to say you have to be gentle because you're not going to get from point A to point even B. Um, it's not like, okay, I'm just going to forge through because it's still, the pain is still there. You're still feeling the sensation of pain. So I always tell, I always take people through pain-free motion first so that they can start to trust it. What do we do? You, you get what's called a dependent position where you're like leaning over from a chair or like in a kind of squat position, say if it's your right shoulder, your left hand's on your thigh and your hinge. And you start to make these circles, kind of I call it stirring the pot, like you're a little wonderful witch doing magic and you're stirring the cauldron. And you want to feel the shoulder actually get traction with gravity because that'll give it a little feeling of uh, already, it's called distraction. So it's not being sucked in. And then you just circle. That circling, for anybody who doesn't have frozen shoulder, it doesn't really feel like much. But for somebody's shoulder, frozen shoulder, it's going to start to summon some of the synovial fluid that can, needs to be brought back in that area. And synovial fluid really depends on you moving for it to be regenerated. It's like your, it's like the the juice that like makes everything nice and glidey. And and that synovial fluid has probably also dried up a little bit with a capsule. So getting that going in a pain-free way with circles, pendulum swings, that kind of stuff. Then you can take it to the next level where you're going more against gravity. You can have the other arm help and just lift it up and just see if you can kind of start to move the scapula up and down. Even if it's at 90 degrees, start squeezing the scapula in. Usually it's, you know, people 
often have uh, up to 90 degrees. I've seen people who don't have 90 degrees um, get this scapula moving because that's part of the shoulder complex. And then you can use the wall, doing some sliding on the wall so you're getting a little less gravity down on you and you can have some freedom uh, of kind of frictionless movement using the wall. You can use the floor the same way. Sometimes that feels a little less, uh, you know, controlled because your feet aren't on the ground. You're usually in kneeling or hinging, but it does get your core. So that could be a progression from the wall. Okay, I could talk about this for another, you know, five hours, but the, my main takeaway, and then I'm like, KB, talk about hers, is just you have to move, and it's not always going to feel pleasant. So work on your breathing, work on working your core. Uh, every time you can think of it, start rolling one shoulder at a time. Just get the, the just uh, desiccation feeling out. You know, it literally is like a plant that's like, you need, it needs to get succulent again. You need to hydrate it. Hydration is going to happen through movement. But um, take it slow because you also don't want your nervous system to have this very strong response and make you feel 10 times worse. So it's just the patience is the key. There's no magic pill, unfortunately. Pills are not going to help, unfortunately. So I want you need to movement is your medicine. Do it slowly and be patient. I promise you, it, you will get there. It the dethawing takes different time for different people depending on how kind of long you haven't been moving it. Yeah. Good no, luck, I, Lucy. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Good luck is true. I mean, this is uh, one of those things that just. Yeah. I mean, it takes time and it is, like you said, you don't want to push into severe pain, but it is a, it's an uncomfortable recovery. I mean, because you, you need, like you said, Laura, you need to move and it's going to feel uncomfortable because your body has kind of created this, um, kind of protective. That's what, you know, the, the adhesions are your body's response to whatever the stimulus was, like you said, Laura, virus, hormonal, uh, and, and injury, the, the autoimmune system has hyper, you know, produced scar tissue, almost like a, like a cast. And so to your point, Laura, we have to really use, I love the dependent pendulum type swinging ideas. Um, I like to, you, you talked about, you know, get, um, using the other arm, a Swiss ball is nice, putting your hands on a Swiss ball and just rolling that Swiss ball out in front of you and pulling it back, rolling it out to the side and pulling it back. Same thing with even like just a towel or a, um, a like a pillowcase on a nice wooden table where you can find time throughout your day because you can't just sit down and do these once a day. So I tell people while they're at work to throw their arm up on there, I'll kind of pull my thing down. I'm here at my desk put your arm like right here on the edge and then lean into it, you know, so you can find a chance. So what I, ha I have my forearm on the edge of the desk and I'm just leaning over. Now you're not going to go as far as I just went. That's, that's probably one of the last ranges to come back is this external rotation and then doing things where you're, you know, trying to reach behind you. You can grab a, a, a towel and pull up and just back and forth, that kind of milking idea that you were talking about, Laura, where you're just, thinking about getting the juices flowing. If you just crank on it, your body is going to resist that and pull back even more. So we need to ease into it. 
very similar to what we do in a lot of our uh, lit yoga, where we're we're moving the whole time. So it's it's a stretch, but it's a movement practice. And I think the same thing has to be applied to a frozen shoulder. Now that's not to say that I haven't successfully treated a lot of frozen shoulders with some pretty hard knocks of, you know, mobilizing, getting in there with my hands, doing soft tissue to help it. Um, but never the way we used to do it where it's like, let me give you a towel to bite on and I'm going to kill you. I'm not talking about that type of motion, but you know, you, this is one of those diagnoses where there is a little bit of no pain, no gain, because if you don't move it and you just keep it in that protective position, yes, studies have shown that this is a self-limiting disease, meaning it is supposed to go away on its own within two years. Now, studies have also shown most people only get maybe 80% back to normal if they don't do something on their own. So, or even less, people can have long-term issues if they really, truly just let it, quote unquote, get better on its own. Um, that's not me. I also think this is something that you can nip in the bud, which is what I talk about in my stretch class a lot. Every time in my stretch class, we are doing assessment and we're reaching up and down behind the back. We're reaching up behind and just, it's a, it's a way to keep tabs and you wouldn't even realize with frozen shoulders, you've got those three stages. And in that first stage where you're in like the freezing phase, usually there's not pain yet. You're just losing range and you don't even realize it until by the time you feel pain, you've lost the range. So by, you know, having a regular movement practice, doing something where you're regularly assessing your range of motion, um, we do it all the time. Every time we inhale our arms up and exhale forward, you know, we are assessing our mobility. So keep tabs on your body. We call this interoception. You know, it's this ability to feel what's going on inside. And when you really get in sync to your body, you can nip things in the bud because right away you're like, oh, that feels kind of funny in your scapula. You need to mobilize the scapula with a frozen shoulder. So Think about all the shoulder rolls we do in lit, even the swirly side lunges where you have your hands down and you're just going from side to side. All the thoracic mobility that we do will help your frozen shoulder. Um, go, you know, coming back and extending over your block will help. So a lot of what we do anyway can help, can help, but you do need to go that extra mile of mobilizing, loosening, working into some discomfort. And like, I love that you pointed out that fear can be the most debilitating of all. Know that you will get better and that it's okay that this hurts and that your body can heal itself. Um, I think that's my biggest piece of advice. Yeah. All right. Next question. Uh, this is kind of a long ish one. Um, this is from Mariel. Let's see. Um, any tips for helping me move better? I have old injuries, have tried Pilates, running, cycling, and I just started Lit Daily two months ago. I'm obsessed. <laughs> ah, but wondering if I will ever move as gracefully as you do. Um, so, so first of all, moving better. Um, this is a concept 
that, you know, we can only define for ourselves. And I think you said it really beautifully, Muriel. It's like you're witnessing me, KB, other teachers, and there is, uh, and it just, there's a fluidity to it. You could say grace. Grace is like work with the least amount of effort. And so it sounds like because of some of your background and th other things you've tried, you're feeling like you're just moving maybe more clunkily. It doesn't sound like you have any existing pain, but you're loving it. And I think, so A, we're lo we love that you're obsessed. Um, and I think when you do become really passionate about something, you it's, it doesn't matter what it is, you know? I'll just use myself as an example. I've been doing crossword puzzles and I used to just do like five minute one every day. And then I started doing a 25 to 30 minute one. And it's like, you just wanna go down that hole, right? And I just, I don't have time to do a two hour crossword puzzle every day. It's just not, but so I, I so if that was in, my bandwidth, that would be great, but I'm not gonna get from my five minute one to my two hour one. Similarly, with movement, you become really obsessed with this type of me method. You are learning as you are experiencing it. So we have to remember those, those are intertwined. So as you're learning, you're learning probably more ways of movement. We go through the developmental sequences, which are Everybody should be doing. We did them as kids. We left them behind. We need to come back to them because they're so full body spectrum. They, they um, really make our nervous system intelligent. They make our movement freer. They make our core integrated, our joints mobile, all that stuff. And so, but this might be new. It sounds like you've done other things. Pilates is somewhat similar in some ways, but it's also different. Running, one, you know, action, cycling, same thing. So this is different. So anybody that I've had people that they, they get to this and they're like, I love this so much, but I don't look like that. And it feels really fast to me or I, th there's no way I can do that and all that. So we kind of go right into, I don't want to say it's a comparison game, but where we're not at that moment. So uh, what I want to just instill, Mariel, is you're not alone. This could be me with crossword puzzle or me. If I started knitting, I wouldn't know what the hell I was doing, right? It's new, even though it's movement and you've been moving. It's new movement. Movement is basically a ton of patterns, hopefully a ton of patterns. But however, over lifespan, we really limit that movement variability and our patterns become kind of habitual and not varied, not real colorful, not real you know, like lots of depth to them, and that's very natural. So just think of this as you are layering patterns of movement, and that is actually the best way to move better is to continue to do it and have the patience and recognize, I often talk about this in teacher training, have a beginner's mind, have the curiosity, am I a little bit um, freer in my movement or clearer in my movement or a little bit more coordinated or whatever it is strong in my movement today, a little bit, because these tiny little bit of change, of expanding your practice, of expanding your habits, expanding your patterns of movement, that is what will accumulatively change. And you can talk to people, like I love it on Lit Daily, people will say, I did this class a year ago, I can't believe how much easier, better, wonderful, Ed felt, blah, blah, blah. So what I would do is kind of mark in your head, like I'm at the very, very beginning and isn't this amazing? 
And yeah, I'm so glad you're obsessed. Stay with us. You will. I promise you that graceful Muriel is waiting there to come out and is probably already there, but you can't compare it to somebody like we've been doing this for decades. It's just unfair to compare, yeah. you know? So KB. I actually love that you brought up the knitting. I mean, knitting is a classic example of if you've ever watched someone who knits, there's a beauty to it. There is a great, they are looking around the room. They are. And it's just, I mean, it's the, the yarn is just pouring together and it's effortless. And if you're have never knit, try it because I've knit and I've knit hats and I knitted a, a sweater one. <laughs> I know? knitted a sweater once too. One like, well, and, it was a toddler sweater. Yeah. And I never gave it to anybody because it wasn't good. Oh, my <laughs> sleeve, my sleeve. I was yeah. like one with this giant arm. And I was like, I've never worn it, even though I spent hours on this thing. And I mean, I look like I'm staring at the needles. I'm counting in my head. And I'm jealous of knitters who are like. So that's the same thing that you're looking at someone, especially Lara, who's been doing this even long, you know, w way longer than me, I used to compare myself to Lara and be like, I, I cannot do that, what she does. And my body's different than hers. And I, and I realized that quickly and developed my own ways of doing it. And then also just, I had to, I had to let go of that, you know, and be like, wait a minute, this isn't about um, what it looks. And, you know, lit really isn't about what, it's not about what it looks like. It's when you start practicing. So be patient, Merle, because you're going to, like you said, people will notice something that they did before that felt super hard. You're going to do it a year later and it's going to be re remarkably easier. I remember coming to my first lit classes and just pouring with sweat. Now it's hard for me to break a sweat because my body is so trained and it's the same thing with knitting there. You're just so trained and it looks graceful. Um, that can be said with any sport, any activity. I look at even my daughter's learning how to drive and she's talking about just how awkward it feels. And you know, now you probably drive with your eyes closed. So there is a learning curve. Um, and you know, I mean, that's the beauty I think of lit is we really wanna focus more on gaining strength and mobility and stability, you know, stability and mobility than how it looks. Mm -hmm. uh, but you'll get there. And I think, you know, as you watch yourself, you'll see the improvements. And if anything, I hope you find it like I'm like, if you're obsessed, that's amazing. But be inspired because I was not a gymnast. I was not um, I was a runner and I was always athletic. What was good is I had a lot. Let, I, I didn't have really much any too much time where I wasn't experiencing movement in a variety of ways. So I didn't have patterns that I had to kind of rewire a lot. I just had more that I could add on to. And that definitely is helpful. But I think it shows you that, you know, sometimes you can see yoga practitioners or teachers who've had other like very, very, you know, gymnastics or some kind of thing in their background. That's very helpful. And you really can't compare to that because their brain mapping is way different, mm -hmm. way different. And so just, again, um, observe where you are now. Keep being obsessed in a good way that makes you feel like you want to keep showing up. And um, it's just like life. Like we just want to show up a little bit better each day. And 
and have the humble, you know, humility to um, know that some days are not going to be as good. So there we go. All right. Well, those were great questions. Um, I'm going to end on this because it's a short one. Uh, this person, SRT, I don't, that's all it is. SRT 321321. <laughs> I love you too. You are changing lives. What is your favorite thing about what you do? So I thought that would be a good one to end on kind of what we're just, we could segue yeah. from what we're talking about. You go ahead first. I, I can absolutely answer that with confidence that my favorite thing that I do is educate people. Um, I love by educate, I mean, empower, you know, really the teaching is where I, I think found my calling. I found it in the most unusual places as a physical therapist. When I went in to be a PT, I didn't think of it as being a teacher. My mom is a teacher. I see that now, like where I'm a lot like her that I never, I didn't practice education. I didn't, I was a camp counselor, but things like that. I, I wasn't interested in teaching, but oh, that's the joy. I love seeing, I love teaching teachers. I love teaching teachers to help people. I love teaching patients. I love back to even what Muriel was talking about. I love watching people grow um, to see the joy in their face, even in one private session to see someone it click and it's like an aha moment. Um, that to me is the greatest gift of all that I have taken my, been able to take my education, to take my job and really help so many people. It gives me joy above and beyond. So, I mean, I, that, that's going to be mine. It's education and empowerment and really sharing my knowledge and helping it's like spread it, like spread it across the world. Hmm. I, I echo all that. And I think that there is something so magical about having the experience like we do. I mean, I think experience, you can read the books, you can look at the research, you can blah, blah, blah. But when you experience observing, helping, um, witnessing, teaching people, thousands of people, that experience gives you a sense of, of real um, confidence that shows others the power of movement as medicine. And that I, I, and just to piggyback off of like educating with empowerment, the feeling of like telling people they're going to be okay. Let me teach you about your body. And, you know, we have, um, as a culture, as a society, we have really not done a good job of talking about this house that we live in, you know, and how we have like so much, con like so much power over how it feels, how clean it is, how safe it is, how structurally sound it is, how loving it is. And so much of that is in our hands. And I think just being some kind of a vessel that expresses that to other people, teaches other people that is just magical. And I think, again, this is why we keep coming back because we see what it does for us, but to share that with others. And I think that's um, teaching at its, you know, it's, it's one of the greatest gifts for sure. So thank you for asking that. Yay. And I'm so happy to do it with you. 
sister. I know, me too. Oh, I mean, that's the blessing. That's that's probably the mm-hmm. number one right there is doing it with your best friends. So yeah, seriously, um, it's amazing. It's amazing. Yes. So all the relationships too are amazing. Amazing, but, you know, great community. Keep, yes, keep it up, everybody. Please keep sending us your questions. You, you can see they they run the gamut. You can reach us at support at lityoga.com. You can also reach us on Instagram. I'm at kbwilliams99. And I'm at lara.hyman. So direct message me. That's where I get a lot of your questions. But um, write to Kristen. Make sure you follow Kristen. Follow Lit Yoga Method. Rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. That means so much to us. That's just like our, that's a little win back for us. If you can do that and share it with others. And as always, we're so grateful for you and we're pulling Pulling for you. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 